face, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Lord of Opex, Dr. Jackson, I'm Tom Amish, Matt Weber on the board, SP Futures down 50, yeah, 50, Dow Futures down 426, and the NSA Futures down 112, ouch, 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 uh, this is after, uh, we actually came back on a big down move yesterday morning after the CPI numbers, but then we came back and actually finished, uh, well, we, do- we dove down again on the close, but we made it back to up at some point, and we dove in the last half hour where the Dow was down 200 and S&P down 17, but... It wasn't as bad as it was in the morning, but now today, uh, say, ouch. So, um, do we have Mr. Lou? He's having some technical difficulties, so we're trying to get him on here. Um, so we have J.P. Morgan coming out and saying their earnings are down 28% after building reserves for bad loans. Uh, that's not good. We have, uh, so Janet Yellen says inflation in the U.S. is unacceptably high. I don't, the people who caused the problem are now the ones bitching about it. I, I, I really wish I could write fiction like this. I'd probably be a pretty good writer, or at least well, make some money. I'd be a horrible writer. But I guess there's, there's a connection there, not necessarily a connection between being a good writer and uh, writing a, and making a lot of money on it, I suppose. But J.P. Morgan, I have it down, uh, where are we here? Down 375 to 108.19. Is that Lou? How are you, buddy? Yeah, good morning. How do you read me? Uh, we read you pretty much loud and clear. Okay, good. Sorry about that. What, uh, so you were having, uh, were you up in a plane somewhere or what are you doing? No, so, I, I don't, I don't know what's happening with at t um, I have a brand new phone and I'm sitting in downtown, you know, I'm within the Denver city limits and, um, I've got in various spots around in this, you know, in this, house and, and uh, in the neighborhood I've got one bar of signal and there's a there's a 5G um, there's a 5G pole about 100 yards straight line distance from the house uh, that's interesting <laughs> well, we've been having a hell of a time getting our, our, our three lines into stacks and jacks uh, they were working fine a week ago Friday all of a sudden two of them clock out and my brother spends <clears throat> they give you the latest thing is you're supposed to program your phone with an app to fix your phone system, your, your cell phone. And uh, so he's on the phone with three hours from some <clears throat> knucklehead in India, and uh, the guy says, well, give me your callback number in case we get broken apart. And so, of course, they get broken apart. He never calls them back after three hours. They still don't work. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's well, how exactly is all this better? That having the copper lines and stuff that never went out, nobody had a fix. I mean, I, I, I'm just mystified here, Lloyd. Just mystified about a lot of things as, as I age. I don't. Um, I don't pretend to understand this. I mean, I, it's some it's some weird thing with AT and T, but I'm going to have to race home with them because it's uh, it, it it's totally, totally crazy to be in a modern metropolitan area and not have reliable cell phone service. Well, now you're fading. I mean, Did you move? You're fading now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This is pretty. This is pretty typical. Can you hear me yet? Yes. Now you're better. 
So yes, I moved the phone. I moved the phone two inches to the right. Well, um, you know, I remember when you were a when you were a kid, you had to hold the TV antenna, like you had your brother go up, just hold it right there, and we can watch the whole football game, that kind of thing. <laughs> that is exactly that is exactly what this is. This is what this is a wave, you know, a cell phone wave propagation issue, and I don't, I just can't understand why, you know, why I'm seeing this. But anyway. Uh, while I can still talk to you, and you're just going to have I can hear you fine. You're just going to have to tell me when I start breaking up. Right now you're fine. Okay. Uh, this is ridiculous. Anyway, the, the topic I wanted to just raise initially was that you were talking about for a couple of days earlier this week was the concealed carry issue. And I was gratified to hear that you'd, you'd go into a class on Sunday. What prompted that? Um... One of the ladies there in the office said that she had uh, <clears throat> had a class with a retired fireman who was in his basement, and there was only like six or seven people, and how how much he had learned. And I said, well, I didn't really want to go to one of the you know, 50, 60 people in a classroom class for two straight days. So I called the app, and he said, yeah, come on in. So I went. Um, I, I, I would I would say, well, let me back up. Does your, does your uh, employee or does your coworker uh, carry a weapon that you know of? I think she might. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. I know she was she was wandering around uh, with her holster just to see how comfortable it was a couple of weeks ago. But I don't think she's ever carried the gun yet. Um, I, I, I would say if I was a if I was a woman, and and unlike uh, Berkeley law professors and Supreme Court justices, I can define what that is. If I was a woman, I working in a place like Chicago or Denver, I would be carrying a, a handgun. Well, um, we, for about four hours, we learned all the different places you can't carry it, and it's just about everywhere. Yeah. Um, the great thing about concealed carry is if you do it right, nobody knows anyway. Uh, and, and I, you know, it only takes, it only takes a situation like, you know, Uvalde or, or, um, a couple of other mass shootings here, but but really anywhere watching watching violence break out to understand that that if you are unlucky enough to be in that situation, and and, and the the problem is that with the random stuff, it's not a question of not putting yourself in a situation where where bad things could happen. It, it's you just happen to be unlucky that day, um, and, and and the George Floyd. Riots in 2020 were a classic example where you could be driving in in Denver or Minneapolis or Philly or Chicago and suddenly find yourself in the middle of a riot with with people you know with people who are interested in doing nothing but you know bashing your windows or stomping your car or whatever um, and and so the ability to protect yourself in a situation like that is is something that, that you know, a lot of people are looking around saying I I want to I want to be part of that um, I, I I will tell you that both uh, both of us here have our uh, our permits um, we don't carry very often but I have carried I have you know worn a gun uh, in, in various places or in, in Denver and other areas in Colorado and it it does two things. Number one, because the the thing is uh, heavy and and you know, sits on your in your pocket or on your on your waistband, it 
it makes you think about it all the time, which is is good. And and it does it does make you think about okay, how am I going to engage in this situation? But the other thing is that it it does force you to to assess situations differently. And and I think in my in my case anyway, it makes me think about trying to stay out of trouble. You know what? That's exactly trying, that's exactly the conclusion <clears throat> that this gentleman wanted people to get from the class is to learn yeah. a hell of a lot more about the situations where you might be in trouble. And use that knowledge to stay out of it even more than you would have before. And, uh, right. And Situational I, awareness. I, I look at I look at the gun. I look at the gun as sort of an, an increased situational awareness device that causes you to think about. Okay, I got. And, and, and I'll give you I'll give you a classic example. Uh, walking in, in Denver downtown, coming back from a restaurant, and we're we're walking maybe four blocks back to our our hotel, and. Um, we're going down the street. We're the only two people on the street through this neighborhood, and, and Denver is not nearly as crowded as Chicago. You you can be by yourself, or you know, with only a, one or two people on a downtown city block in the you know in the evening around the around the uh, main part of the, the city, the commercial and nightlife area of the city. And here come two guys, you know, coming down the street, uh, hoods up. You know, sort of the classic, the classic, you know, thug look that, that oh, you're yeah. trying to project. And they're coming toward us. And I just, we just very quietly, you know, they saw us. We very quietly just sort of crossed the street over to the other side. And they crossed the street too. Now, they may have just been having, let's intimidate these two, you know, these two people walking down, these two adults walking down the, walking down the street. But when they crossed the street, I just we just stopped and waited, you know, like we were talking. And you know, I I very quiet, just easily just put my hand in my pocket. I was carrying a, a pocket gun and just put my hand in my pocket and left it there. And uh, you know, I, they they saw that. I made sure they saw that, and they they kind of drifted back across to the other side of the street. Now I have no idea if these people were were interested in doing anything, but that move to move to confront us was a clear sign that you know th- these guys were out of the ordinary. They weren't out just for a stroll, and you know my hand in my pocket was a was a clear indication that there is something there in case this thing decides that these this situation decides to go south. Well, this dude said that, and it's, just like what you said there, Lou, this, uh, the guy was, in fact, he's going to come on the show, uh, his name's Mark, he, he said that in, if you do it, somebody did some study, so there's always somebody doing a study, right, that if, if you do it properly, and uh, like you just did, 85% of the time when, when a concealed carry is drawn, there's never a shot fired. Oh no! Do, do you do you know what the Department of Justice estimates are on defensive uses of a handgun? And defensive uses of a handgun is not shooting; it's either displaying or giving an indication that you're armed. Yeah, the, the DOJ estimates that there are more than a million of those episodes a year. Well, yeah, could be, which, which I find I find incredible. Well, the the, the situation um, here, the, the latest issues in Chicago, um, it seems to be. Are 
and there just was one <clears throat> last week. I mean, uh, we uh, my nephews know the guy, the policeman. It's paralyzed. It's it's an it's an altercation in a bar, and somebody goes to their car and grabs a gun because no, you know, you know, nobody carries in a bar really. I mean, you're not supposed to, and uh, so they they go to their car and they start firing. That's what happened twice in the last eight weeks in front of our office here, or people being carjacked. That seems to be the most dangerous spot right now. I mean, it's not. Somebody coming in your house or things. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I, I guess it happens, but it's pretty rare. But the, the 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 major causes of the shooting deaths and otherwise now are people going to their car, pulling out a gun, and opening fire, and people being carjacked. Does that, does that sound right, Matt? I mean, it's, it seems to be with, or or an expressway where they, they're shooting out of one car into another. But I don't know what well, you know about and, that. And, and again, the carjacking. I, I mean, Denver. Denver is the place for having your car stolen even more than chicago on a per capita basis and uh again it's it's not it's not a situation where you you know you're looking for trouble you're you're stopped at an intersection somewhere and these guys you know the guys trying to get get pull you out of your car if yeah. you don't have a weapon if you're especially if you're female but if you don't have a weapon you know you're 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 stuck how often does it happen does it happen often enough to justify carrying a gun i don't know but the idea that, uh, and this this would act as a deterrent. I mean, the idea if you're a criminal that going up to a, a random car is just is likely to get you shot or likely to have you engage somebody with a with a gun is is a, a well, significant deterrent. We had a whole, whole big section on carjacking, and he said you can two things. <clears throat> you know, obviously, if you have the gun easily accessible, I mean, it might help. He said, but. It's amazing how many carjackings where somebody will walk out, not see two <laughs> two people. Instead of walking down a sidewalk, they're always walking down the middle of the street. So if you walk out, go to your car, turn your back on them, and open it, you're basically inviting. Because that that's the spot where you're getting in your car. Okay, and the other yeah. is if you're at a stoplight, you should always stop far enough back where you can get around. And every time you stop at a stoplight, look at the sidewalk and see if that's a an escape route if you need it. It may not be. There might be poles there, but it may be. I never do that. Now I do. After this class. Yeah. Well, so if, I mean, you, if you're carrying, if you're carrying a weapon, again, this is the kind of, and it's, you know, it, it, I won't say it becomes second nature, but this is the kind of thought process that you're, you're trained to, to engage in. And, and frankly, it's the reason, Chief, that concealed carriers, I don't know if your friend told you this, but, but concealed carriers are actually safer have a have a better record of engagement with their weapons than police officers because because of the of the specific conflict avoidance training that that's a huge part of being a, a well being i mean a concealed carry it, it it is amazing the the training you go through and how well i mean it's twenty hours but it's uh you know no 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 such thing as a warning shot because if it's a warning shot no you you if you, you, you weren't you weren't as if you produce if you produce the weapon if you pull the weapon out, uh, you are you are preparing to shoot somebody, and and that's the mindset you got to have. If that gun comes out, I, I, the line I like, and, and it's one I've it's one I've used with my friends. Every bullet that you fire has a lawyer attached to it. Well, yeah, that's exactly every, what every, every round you every wherever that bullet goes, there's a lawyer right behind it, you know, following it all the way. Well, that's basically he, what what he, he I mean, it's all part of the. I mean, you know, like I said, the, the thing that was most surprising to me, Lou, is not one of the people in the class, and everybody said so, 
10 years ago, we would never even thought of taking this class. And hopefully 10 years from now, we'll either never have bought a gun or, or, or not even renew our card. But that's, but as for right now, everybody just kind of wanted to be prepared. One guy works at, uh, one of the big metro yards. Uh, and he said, you know, at night just people wandering around there. And he, one of the ladies is a teacher in a bad spot. And she, I mean, neither one of these people are, are running out today and buying a gun. They're just, they're just, you know. No, no, I, I, I understand. Just have, just to have the, the ability to do so and get the familiarity with the, with the weapon. Um, well, I have, I have no intention. I have no intention of buying one. I mean, I have no intention. You're talking all about ammunition. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, he had, that's the one thing he maybe could have done differently is, uh, he had like nine automatics up there and everybody kind of had their own one for a while and then you'd switch. I can't believe how all different they are, even though you're like taking them apart and putting them in. I, I got a bad feel for an automatic. I mean, we just, we must have spent four hours telling you what to do and automatics screw up. I'm like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose if you get your own and, and you really know that particular one, but some have the little trigger, some don't. I mean, it, there's huge differences between them, which is. There, there, there are. And, and, and they all, and they, and every gun, every handgun and, and rifle, but, but especially handguns. Handguns are much harder to aim and shoot than a, than a rifle with respect to hitting your target. Um, every every handgun shoots differently. <clears throat> it's crucial that that you get used to firing uh, one. I, I will tell you when you told me that yours jammed a lot. Um, my initial reaction was you were probably not um, leaning into the gun enough if, with with respect to the recoil. So so it's crucial with, with a, especially with a a low uh, recoil round like a three eighty caliber. Uh, ACP or, or something smaller, it's crucial that you keep your hands stiff and don't try to anticipate the recoil, but that you lock your hand well, in place because what it, the gun, it's what happened the gun has to in the bang ra- against your hand. Oh, in the range, eject the shell. The place is so mad that we only had two slots for the class, so everybody just wanted to get the bleep out of there, right? Me included. The place stunk, shells flying all over the place, the people looked a little weird. I wanted to fire by 30 shots in the middle of the thing and get out. But the thing kept jamming, he, but he kept fixing it. Even though we had all done practice on fixing jammed guns, I don't think he wanted us to practice li- live ammo in the range place. So he kept, well, they kept putting, ejecting these two bullets out of my gun, and then uh, they kept putting them back in the magazine. Well, it turns out one of the bullets was no good. So, yeah, so that, that can, that'll, that'll happen sometimes. So once I got rid of the bullet, yeah. then everything was fine. But I, I did pretty good. I mean, uh, uh, one, one guy, uh, did like all, all of them, they call them within the nines. But I think one of the guns had a laser sight on. Mine did. Laser sights kind of cheated. Yeah. But, uh. Laser, laser sights, laser sights are red dot sights, so there's two, there's a difference. So a laser sight actually projects a laser beam that, that lights up the target so you can see, you see on the target where the, where the beam's gonna hit. You don't look down the, you don't look down the sight, you look where the beam is. A red dot optic actually projects a a uh, small red dot on a on a lens that's mounted on the pistol. That's what I think it was, and, yeah. But and where you where you put the red dot, where, where one, if the gun's sighted properly, where you put the red dot, uh, that's where the that's where the round goes. Yeah. Um, so so I'm I'm the, the big the big reason to carry you know a semi-automatic. A uh, gun with a magazine rather than a revolver is that they give you the option for a lot more rounds, and and you know it it you have to factor in the, the reliability of the gun. 
And that, the reliability of the gun is, is frequently just driven by the, the way the shooter holds it and, and how the, how familiar the shooter is with the operation. But yeah, you've got, you've got, you've got handguns that have what are called trigger safeties where there's no safety on the gun, but the, you have to squeeze the trigger and the first squeeze of the trigger is the safety that releases the, that releases the safety and allows the firing pin to make contact. You've got guns that have actual safeties that lock the slide in place and you have to physically manipulate that. Um, revolvers of course have no safeties and every time you, when you're carrying a revolver, um, you're carrying typically a, you know, every time you cock the hammer, you've got another, you've got another uh, round coming into the firing chamber until you run out of ammunition. Semi-automatics you can carry unloaded without a, without a round in the chamber, but with, with rounds in the magazine so that you have to pull the slide back. Um, yeah, yeah the, there's the a lot of variety. Does the, the slide the was a, that you use? But the slide yeah, is a huge was a huge challenge for the ladies. Actually, one yeah, of them, yes, one of the guns was so tight it was it's kind of a challenge for me. I mean, I, I mean, I, and plus I, I never quite got the hang of letting the thing go and make that huge noise. I always kind of, well, I, I would I, my tendency was to ride the slide back, which you're not supposed to do. No, no, and and you gotta you have to be careful because and, and and again that that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand. Even with the smaller guns, you have to you have to pull hard to pull that slide yeah, back. Yeah. Don't you know you're holding something relatively small, but the spring in there is very powerful, and you've got to you've got to really yank it to get yeah. it back and get the round seated. And that's that's a hard concept for a lot of people to understand. The the ammunition that you pick. So so big big debate big debate in the handgun community about. You know, hollow points versus versus solid bullets because a hollow point round, as I'm sure your instructor told you, oh, yeah. has a has a space that's literally bored into the center of the bullet, starting at the front of it, so that the bullet will mushroom and expand out when when it hits uh, you know a person or an animal or flesh. The idea being that you are you don't want a bullet that stays intact because that bullet will just simply go through the target. And, and on downrange to hit something else or somebody else, you want the you want the bullet to expend as much energy as possible, stopping in the in the target, so that that the target experiences the the full impact of the round, the full the full velocity or, or um, uh, impact energy of the round, and and then the round doesn't doesn't go sailing off you know 100 yards through the individual you just shot and hit somebody else. There's a the, the disadvantage of a, of a hollow point round is that, is that many times going through clothing or, or if they go through a barrier like glass or, or something else, the hollow point doesn't perform the way it's supposed to. It either breaks up or, or it, it, they actually get clogged. They can get clogged with fabric. So the, the bullet, instead of, instead of mushrooming, the, the nose clogs with fabric. And the round then acts like a solid. So if, if you were going to get shot at, you want some big heavy wool overcoat on. Uh, basically, if you're getting shot with a hollow point, which is why uh, a lot of shooters, and that includes me, um, have or carry with what's called a fluted round, which is a solid bullet that has a. It looks like a Phillips head cut on the on the nose, and the idea is that that. By putting these flutes, these cuts in the nose of the bullet, you, um, you, you cause the, the round to, to literally spiral through the target. It expends almost all of its energy in the target, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't react. It's called it's it's it, the the term is barrier blind. The bullet is actually blind to something in front of it. So cloth, glass, metal. Um, these even a, even a small gun like a three eighty with with these kinds of bullets can shoot through a car door. If uh, God forbid you gotta, gotta have a situation, we're gonna do that. Gotta have that. Hey, uh, when we come back, let's. Uh, I, I want to get the assessment with all the stuff going on here, the economy, the market misbehaving. Although it's not down as much as it was a few weeks ago, but oil prices flying back down. We got this inflation to the nines here. But then again, in, in my opinion, by I hate, I hate this. I can't even really say it, Lou, that I think the inflation has peaked because nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about when I say peak versus what all the other. Uh, and I, I, my, it's seeming the seeming lack of knowledge and what causes and what, what the mess we're in. How are we going to fix it if we don't even know where we're at? And I just, I can't, I don't even see the debate forming at all of any, of any kind here. I don't, I see people who are, one percenter is talking about the world, and, and that doesn't match the world that I see 89 or 90% of the rest of the people seeing. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite this chaotic. I mean, uh, maybe maybe at the end of the Vietnam era when we had inflation and other stuff, but this is actually worse in a lot of ways. Uh, some people are caught more on guard. We've got stuff has gone from, you know, somebody was telling me they paid 85 grand for a pickup the other day. I'm like, let me get this straight. A pickup costs three times, well, not three times, two and a half times the median salary we've never seen anything like this well, I, mean, I don't i don't I mean i don't i don't get it s&p futures hey we're only down well we're still down 50 as a futures 107 uh we have janet yellen saying inflation is unacceptably high we got jp morgan whose earnings came out they're down 321 that's three percent that's not real bad 108.70 every stock i've gotten the dow in the pre-market is down same thing with the transportation average so not looking good yet be right back stacks and jacks How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 
888-888-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. He's on the board. SP Futures down 51 now. NASDAQ Futures down 120. So not looking good here. It, one of the things that I've been watching the last week or so, which is now, and I don't know where these movements come from, we talk about not seeing something on the tape. Uh, yesterday, one of the things, we were way down after the CPI number, and the dollar got down to almost, well, I guess it did touch parity with the euro dollar. All of a sudden, the euro rallied late morning. Just when the euro rallied, all the, all the, your metals, gold, and everything else rallied to beat the band. Your stock market went flying back up. And now this morning, the euro was back down. It was at, uh, 1.0067 yesterday the afternoon. It got back to, now we're back down to 1.0009. So, it's down 47, I guess, thousandths, wherever that is, which is a massive move this, this morning in the, in the euro dollar. And, uh, and that's what's taken, one of the things that's taken, and we had gold flying all the way back the other way. So whatever is, whatever is manipulating this uh, dollar-euro thing, it's really carrying, it's the tail that's wagging the whole dog with all the metals, the markets, and everything right here, which is really not all that usual, but it's, it's happening now. Like I said, right now, SP futures down 51, SP futures down 118, Dow futures down 408. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 121, what's 1%. Uh, FTSE down 60.8%. CAC around down 53.9%. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei actually uh, uh, up 164.6%. Shanghai down 2, call that flat. Hang Seng down 46 on its 0.2%. Uh, we have to talk, uh, we're talk, when Dan comes on in a bit, we're going to talk about this run on some of these Chinese banks and if it's affecting any any of the dollar-denominated Chinese debt. Well, all this stuff starting to seem to come to a head right at the same time. Uh, yesterday, uh, Dow was down 208, S&P down 17, NASDAQ down 17. NASDAQ had been down 3.5% the two days before that, so they were the ones that actually made it back to the positive most of the day yesterday, but then fell on the close. Bonds, uh, four basis points, 2.95, trying to get back up to 10, 3% on the 10-year to Bund. Uh, positive 0.07, it's 1.21. Japan up 1 to 0.24. Uh, oil down 273, 93.57 in the oil. That's that's got to be the lows of oil of a while now. Rent down 237, 97.20. Natural gas up six cents, 
676. Arbob down another dime to 312. So really, gas should be under four bucks a gallon, and it's not. We're, we're it's going down really, really slow. It's down to like 509 in some places here. That's that's robbery. Uh, gold down 25 bucks. What I said about the dollar 1709. Silver down 50 cents 1868. Copper down six cents 325. And we've got the crypto down 19,672. Again, if that thing doesn't hold close to twenty thousand, be more, be more carnage in that area. We'll see what happens there. Maddie, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports? That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. Thirty-six minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Looks like we have one crash in the area. That's on the outbound Eisenhower, a westbound side, right at I three fifty-five. That has the I two ninety backed up to South Wooddale Road. There's a car in the ditch. And crews on the scene working to get that cleared. Right now, just the left lane is blocked, but all kinds of uh, uh, delays on the outbound Eisenhower because of that crash uh, out near I-355. No issues on the inbound side. Uh, Edens and Kennedy also looking good. Traffic building on the Stevens-Zimbano accidents to report. Dan Ryan, I-57, and the Bishop Ford are all quiet. Off the expressways, uh, looks like there's an issue uh, on Damon Avenue just south of I-55. Uh, and uh, 29th Street there uh, that has uh, Damon closed due to police activity. Uh, so something happened uh, last night uh, there, I, I would imagine, some sort of shooting or something like that. Weather today, sunshine, uh, cooler temperatures uh, in the city, warmer inland, a high of just 75 in the city, so it's going to be uh, very nice uh, for mid-July. Could touch the 80s uh, further inland. Right now it's crystal clear and 65 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, rain in the forecast, uh, but a hot, steamy uh, temperature of 111 today. Right now it's mostly clear and 92. In sports, the White Sox salvaged a split after losing the first two games in Cleveland. They won two in a row, winning last night 2-1. to one. Uh, Sox are now five games back of Minnesota. Uh, and, and that's where they head tonight for a big four game set up in the Twin Cities, uh, to close out the first half. So five back with four games to play here at Minnesota before the All-Star break. Uh, Sox could make some noise if they can, you know, take three out of four or sweep that series. Uh, in, uh, bad news, uh, Eloy Jimenez left the game last night with an apparent, uh, right leg injury. Uh, he, of course, is coming off of a torn, uh, what was it, ligament in his knee uh, that he just came back from a couple weeks back, or like one week back. So uh, not good for the uh, Sox slugging left fielder. Cubs have dropped six in a row. They were blown out at Wrigley last night by the Orioles, 7-1. to Baltimore has won 10 in a row. And after having one of the worst teams in baseball history last year, they're now one game above 500. Diamondbacks lost to the Giants, 4-3. to Chief. What, uh, how does Baltimore manage to do that? You got some young pitchers or what? Well, they've had a, a top three or four draft pick for like 10 years in a row. And so finally they're uh, starting to hit on some of these guys. And they're going to have the number one pick again in this draft coming up, uh, I think it's later this month. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they're, 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 they, they went 52 and 110 last year. You like the Cubs. And, uh, well, a lot worse than the Cubs. And as uh, bad as the Cubs were. And uh, so they got the number one pick. Um, Cubs had like the seventh pick, but uh, but yeah, uh, they're uh, starting. Some of those young guys are starting to come up, including their top overall prospect, which is their now starting catcher. And uh, they're starting to gel, and they're playing good ball right now. What uh, real real quick before we get to the other nasty stuff about the academy? Um, they still have those. What do they call the rule? The rule five drafts. Um, I mean, I remember the one year the Cubs were, were when the Cubs were good. They gave a couple of guys got signed away, 
And even though their their draft pick was way way worse than the sacks because the sacks were crummy, they had like three or four picks between versus round rounds one and two. So they ended up. Sacks had two good picks, a number one and a number two. The Cubs had a number one, like four between the second round and the first round, and then another one in the second round. They had like they had like six picks to the sacks two. Yeah. I mean, those picks between the first and second round still got to be pretty good. I would think so. Yeah, those are for losing free agents. Really? So that that still happens. You still get as far as I know. Yeah, that's still part of the collective bargaining agreement. I mean, that stuff changes every time. uh, So I don't know the exact uh, rule on it now. But historically, there was free agents that if you would lose a free agent, they would just sign with another team. You were rewarded with a compensatory pick, and that was the pick between the first and second round. Well. Well, I believe a, I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, Lou. What um, without talking out of school, let's, let's hit this for a minute. I know you got a couple of topics you want to talk about. What is the status? I mean, how many college kids essentially now have agents? I mean, they're not supposed to quote have an agent, but you can have a marketing helper and <coughs> this other kind of helper. Seems to me like they're all just agents. Are we switching schools and getting contracts for their face and all the other stuff? I mean, how do you not have an agent for God's sake? Oh, I think. I think, uh, by the time you are a high school senior, if you are, uh, identified as a, as somebody that, that the colleges are going to be recruiting heavily, uh, you've got an agent, a fi- an advisor that the family, the family is, is either paying or who is going to come in as, uh, you know, the, the marketing Guy, when when the kid gets to kid, kid gets to college to handle uh, name, image, and licensing rights, I uh, that that's been the case in that's been the case in basketball for for you know decades. Um, it certainly is is what's happening in in football um, now with the name, image, license, and I'm just going to use the acronym NIL. Now with NIL in play, uh, the minute <clears throat> the minute that kid starts looking at a school. Um, the, the, the college is, is got a financial person who, who will go to the, go to the kid and say, okay, we have signed a group licensing deal with Nike or with Pepsi or with whomever. It kicks a, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars into the team. Your share of that as a freshman is going to be X. And, and we can, we can guarantee you an income of X when you come in. As of right now, because of the NCA's abrogation on this, there is absolutely no control on this stuff. It is, it is the Wild West. And so you, this is what, this is, this is one of the reasons why the SEC, uh, is pulling schools, you know, high value, high branded schools out of the Pac-12. Um, it, it's why the Big Ten is pulling those guys out and looking to pull those guys out. It is we are we are rapidly moving in the direction where college athletes are 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 going to be moving. <clears throat> it, it's going to be it's going to be the development of a system that the salary cap system in the NFL and the soft caps in Major League Baseball and and NBA are supposed to prevent, and that is the the tremendous. Bargaining and economic power, and, and therefore hiring power uh, of a few teams. You know, basically locating and centralizing in a few teams, who who then will will suck up all the all the available talent. 
and and basically make make much of college football much less competitive. What? Uh, uh, but the short answer to your question is, these kids are by the time these guys are seniors in high school, they will have a financial advisor who is being paid either by the family or by the school to sit down with them and walk them through this process. Um. Well, let me say we put this one on, a, on the agenda for next week because it's a. I, I'm just curious on the business side of it. Of course, if you talk to you know, you talk to people who Chief, don't. Chief, it's all the business side. Of it. I don't know what I'm saying is that, that's what this is. But I don't know. My point is, there's a lot of things wrong with tax codes and other things, in my opinion. But I don't. I don't know that Nike gets two hundred thousand dollars worth of use out of some high school kid's name. I, I just. I wonder. I mean, I don't know how. And it's like I don't. I don't think that guaranteed rate, whatever they spend for, I don't think they can prove that that was worth it to them at all. And, and Sox Parker, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't. I don't think that the under the Under Armors and all those places that went around and gave all those huge contracts to Notre Dame and all these other places, the next year the stock got obliterated. It, it, every one of them was a bad deal for these companies. I mean, I don't know how you how do you value the mug of some high school kid? Hey, this is. This is uh, more. I think it's very much. <clears throat> excuse me. It's very much the same issue that that you see with with sort of the value of a stadium or the value of a football team or the, a, bait, a pro baseball team to a to a particular market. There are different ways of measuring it, but the most important way of measuring it, and the one that I think drives the motivation, is the ability of the company and the people who run the company to to say to stand up and say. We've got, you know, Bo Jackson under contract. We've got so and so under contract. He he plays for us. He's a member of Team Adidas or whatever. There's a huge psychological value in being able to say that. What? And I think that frequently drives these decisions. It's economics, but it's economics in a non tangible kind of kind of way. Oh, yeah, well let's 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 worry about that next week because I mean it's it always gets to me. I, 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 I think, you know, as much as I guess Notre Dame wants the money, I think that was a horrendous deal for Under Armour, and I think Northwestern was too. But I, I don't know. I mean, whatever. Well, I, I, but, I, but, but, you know, they, they, there's, there's, an, there's an intangible there, an emotional value that I think is, I think is measurable. Let me, let me, oh, I want to talk about this one thing that I just, I just yeah. read. So if you buy a BMW, do you know that you can you can rent your heated seat? You pay a rent to, to BMW to turn on your heated seat. If you want if you want heated seats in the car, you 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 now can. There's an option for you to pay. I guess like like ten bucks a month or fifteen dollars a month to be able to turn the heated seat feature on your car. It's a software fix, and they just they communicate it to the car via via Wi-Fi or, or Bluetooth. But but. The features on your car are going to now be are going to now become optional with rent. You're going to lease the features on your car because it's cheaper for them just to build the cars with all the available hardware, and then it's just a software upgrade that they can rent to you. I like that. Um, that that sounds like me arguing economics, Lou. Because now, just think about it. Re- reverse the argument, Mister Attorney. Uh, I just bought a seat that has heated stuff in it, and I paid through the nose for it. And you're telling me I got to pay extra for you to turn it on for me? Oh, 
well, 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 but see, you're not. If you want the full thing, if you want the full service, then then you pay up front to not have to worry about that. Yeah, but it's but it's not a, it's not a service. I just bought the heated seat. Well, but you bought you bought no you you didn't you didn't buy a working heated seat. You just bought a seat with the capability of being heated, and you now have the because of the price of the car. You you only get the ability to to lease it rather than actually turn it on permanently. If you want to turn it on permanently, that's another whatever. I think I think Teslas have have been doing this for a while with respect to some of their some of their features, and and Matt would have a better. Well, feel it's, for that it started with you. the uh, started with the what would they give you the the electronic system for the first six months free, and then you had to pay for it after that. But I don't I don't see how you could. How they can charge you for a, a radio that you have to buy <laughs> that's in the price, then say, "Oh, by the way, if you want us to be able to turn the thing out, it's another ten bucks." I mean, you just paid for it. If you don't want it, it shouldn't be there. You should have to pay for it. Well, the hardware, the hardware. See, this is the this is the genius of it. You you don't pay for it. The hardware is incorporated into every car. Okay, but I'm saying, and and so and so, the, the hardware is there. Whether you're able to use it. Is a matter of the price you pay up front, and then if you don't pay up front for the ability to use it, then you you have to lease it. All right, from a, from a guy who used to do do pricing on railroad cars, I'm just telling you, Lou, the the seat that is capable of heating your fanny it costs more than the one that isn't. So you're paying. Oh, for oh I know, fr- I know, yeah, but yeah. it's but if you're the if you're the manufacturer. Rather than keeping a tool line or a, a, a manufacturing line open that installs heated seats versus one that doesn't, it's easier to, to make them all I, heated seat capable. Well, therein lies one of the and, problems with the with the CPI is that if, if all of a sudden now you can't buy a truck without a backup camera, okay, the, and, and the, exactly. The, but the price, but now, but now that at least works. The uh, that the F one fifty that's up, you know, a thousand dollars from last year, if the backup camera is worth eighty five dollars, they're really saying the price is only up nine fifteen. And there's a huge calculation about every year. I don't, well, I don't want to do it every single car, but they surely do it on pickups because there's enough of them around. I and mean, that's one of their key items is uh, like the Ford F one fifty. And if there's a spot somewhere in the CPI world, I found it once. I can never find it again. Lou. every single year going back, that'll tell you. Every little item that is now included that used to be an option on the pickup, and how much it detracts from the the list price just being more money. But then at the end of the decade, oh, yeah. at the end of the decade, you look at it and go, "God, the price of the pickup is up ten grand." Oh no, it's really only up one. Yeah, but but I can't buy it for up one. It's you know, right. You know, so right. Well, I, well, it's this is this is all. I, I mean, I I I looked at this and I thought this is this is by somebody and, and this literally is your comment about the electronics this literally is the serious radio of you know of, of features on cars you know my, my I, I first saw this when I bought a, an upscale an upscale car back in the uh, in the early aughts which by the way I'm still driving um, and and I it, it said yeah if you want to you want to turn the, it's, it's got a serious satellite radio in it and if you want to turn that on here's, here's this yeah, what you got to do to do it to, to get the capability. The car, the car does not come with that with that thing turned on. The series has to activate it. But I, mean, I, mean, and I thought, huh? But that's interesting. But it's it's stunning to me that people would think think of something bigger than a heated seat. The, a car without air conditioning is you know you don't have the, the compressor, you don't have the thing in front of the 
radiator. You don't have any of the lines. You don't have any of the stuff. Oh, this, but they drive fuel efficiency. Absolutely. Well, I'm saying, uh, but you, think, you, about, think about power windows. I'm saying you could you could buy in, back in the day you could buy a car without air conditioning. Okay, so but if they're going to put it in there, it was like a 700 hour option. But now, but then all of a sudden they they started putting it in every car. Okay, but now if you, but you're still paying the 700. Is now now included in the price? If they were to make you pay the 700. And then say, well, by the way, it's another fifty bucks a month to turn it on. You'd say, well, if I'm not going to pay the fifty bucks, I don't want it. Get it the hell out of here. I don't want to pay the seven hundred. I don't see how that. I don't see how that dog hunts on <laughs> any kind of a, well, a major I mean, level. From an economics perspective, it's it's the company saying, look, it costs us X to manufacture this car, and it costs us X plus Y to manufacture this car with various options. So, so if we can just if we just manufacture car the car all the cars with X and eliminate the cost of maintaining a, a, a production just, line that doesn't include these other. I'm just saying, as a as a a guy who looks at things out a different way most of the time, their story to me is, uh, we, we're paying you to turn this thing on. I said no, I'm already bought the product. And you're and you're turning it off on me, which is what are you doing? But, but you I, haven't but you haven't bought the product because if the product doesn't work, oh, then, okay. then, then you don't have it's effectively you don't have it. Louis, if I didn't know so any you're, better, so I'd you're say, you're operating you're operating in the in the non digital native world. You're you're operating I, in the legal world. That way. You're you're operating in the legal world where I can ask the question: How many fat people can dance on the head of a pin? And you probably got an answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> well. I've got, I've got, I've got one answer. Yeah. If we had another lawyer in the room, there would be two answers. Well, absolutely. All right. So, what, what do you want to? We just want to talk. We want to talk about the ESG thing as well. Yeah, I wanted to mention Sri Lanka because, because, and and the Netherlands because what's happening there is is a. a we, we talked about ESG probably three months ago when they took maybe two months ago when they took Tesla off of their of their quality rating and bumped yeah. them out of the top five hundred or whatever but left an oil company there. So ESG is environmental, social, and governance rulings. And it's a, it's a woke way or progressive way of measuring a company's value, uh, in addition to the pure economic performance. These, these, if you, if you are sensitive to the environment, you have, you promote the, the right social concerns and you, you reflect good social, uh, and progressive values in your governance. You get a you get a higher score. So Sri Lanka, for whatever reason, and, and you see this play out in in companies that that do all the kind of value signaling and and all that 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 gives them a higher ESG score. So so Sri Lanka has an ESG score, I believe, of ninety eight, which is very high, hundreds to top. The U.S. has an ESG score of fifty one by by these international organizations that grade this out. Sri Lanka. The way the reason Sri Lanka's ESG score was so high is they prioritized organic farming. They eliminated completely the use of artificial chemical fertilizers and and pesticides and all that, and went with pure organic methods. And their food production crashed, totally, totally crashed. They've got an inflation rate running over fifty percent. People can't afford fuel. They can't afford food. They can't afford medicine. And, uh, you know, it, it's a nice little, it's a nice study because it's an island nation. They have to import and export everything. And, and the, the economy, the economy disintegrated. Um, 
we have not seen a lot of reports about what's happening in the Netherlands, but, but the Netherlands government has decided that they are going to adopt a nitrogen-free uh, policy, which, which effectively eliminates um, fertilizers on, on farmland and in the Netherlands, which is one of the most productive agricultural countries in all of the EU. Um, so they, they, this, this impacts directly their ability of their farmers. And the way they did it in the Netherlands was they were condemning swaths of land to, to protect other pieces of land. So the, the classic example was a three or four hectare peat bog that, that was supposed to be environmentally significant, like a wetland. Um, and the Netherlands government said, okay, so we've got this 3.4 hectare, which is, a couple, you know, uh, so five acres, six acres of, of land that we're going to protect. So we're going to condemn 2,800 hectares of land that surrounds this peat bog. And by condemning it, what they mean is you can't use any fertilizer on it. So it no longer becomes economically viable to farm it. And it works as an effective condemnation of that property to, to and, and basically it's a taking by the, by the government of this land away from whoever was the unlucky sod to, to, and I use that term in, you know, in a clever way. Like a, uh, like a Brit would, you silly sod. Who owns it. Yeah. Like my aunt used to say from, yeah. the, from the UK, you silly sod. That's right. And so, and so you, you had the spectacle of Dutch farmers, and this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, running har- combine harvesters, you know, that shoot the grain out of a spout into a truck, driving combine harvesters, shooting grain onto lines of policemen. Uh, in, in, as they protested in, in the Netherlands, driving their tractors down the, the, the highways, blocking traffic, dumping manure fertilizer on, in front of, in front of the, their government buildings, and generally engaging in a huge massive strike that, that, again, is, is totally, uh, I mean, it's just not being covered here. But it's a huge, it's, it's the reaction to, again, this ESG management or style uh, of, uh, of decision making within their government, and it, it, it's horrific. It, it's damaging their economies. It's it's a as I said, when you see it applied in Sri Lanka in a, in a wide scale measure, it, it creates a huge shock to the economy. That, that the you know the average guy sitting on the street is totally powerless to, to deal with. Much like much like what's happening here with our with our whatever our inflation actually is. Uh, above probably di- double digits. Um, well, let me help you with that. The, the, the impact, the impact on the guy in the street, the guy you you see at the Tivoli, the the, the people you sit down with at the bar, or, or who are driving your cab or or your Uber, they're they're powerless to deal with the, they, the impact the, of this the, kind of decision making. Separ- and, and and the U.S. the U.S. has got a similar issue. Our our energy situation is driven by exactly this. It's not driven by economics. It's been, our, our government policies are driven by this ESG mentality that says, hey, we, we're going to value signal that we're going to turn off fossil fuels and we're going to force people. We're going to force people to, to, to buy into our value system through the power of government. Well, there, there are people that, I'm going to say real quick because we've we got like a minute here, but cause we got all kinds of stuff for next week, but day one, since we started doing the show, my, my theme has been, this is economic. There's people. There's winners. There's losers. So there's there's people 
that are going to come up on top. They're going to end up with everybody else's stuff in this movement. It's just like downtown Chicago. I've got a couple of auctions here we're talking about with John later, uh, where two big hotels have changed firms, changed places at, at auction. So people that thought they had wealth three years ago, now somebody else has got their wealth at a discount. Every single time there's a crisis, that's what happens. There's going to there's somebody who's going to benefit from the new the new uh, farming methods in the Holland. But I'll, I'll say this: is that I've never seen in my lifetime a bigger gap between I won't I won't say morons, the people that are in charge in politics at every level. And I don't see how we get guys from Keith Pico to to uh, what's our lady's name uh, that was on it. Uh, people enter the House of Representatives the first time, and they give a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world. Somewhere in there, they seem to trip over some some wire and land on the other side, and they have no concept. I mean, the the idea right now of what they're doing, but I I think there's going to be major winners and losers in this whole game, and, and there are people behind it. It's not just this random. They might they might have somebody like AOC be in their mouthpiece, but somebody is gonna is gonna end up fat and happy on this stuff, and you're gonna wonder who the hell they are. Just like Resolution Trust. All of a sudden, everybody ended up with everybody else's stuff at a discount, right? Every time there's something like this happens, that's the result. I mean, where am I wrong? No, I, I agree. This is this is you know the, the, this movement. This movement covers for a lot of revenue and wealth shifting. Yes, that that. Well, let's put it on the docket next week. Yeah, Mr. Dan, our, our elites, our elites are positioned to exploit. Let me put it that. That's way. exactly right. Take care of yourself, bud. SP Futures down 53, NASDAQ Futures down 122. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janinas. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates, and a good inventory make adding bricks-and-mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. 
ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Right now. There's something happening here. Lord Oak Bay, Stacks and Jacks, I'm Tom Mr. Matt Weber on the board, SP Futures down now 57, that's about as low as I've seen them. SP Futures down 137, not quite as bad, but they've had a, two horrendous days on, uh, are we Thursday? The horrendous days on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, but the market does not look good here. We got the P, PPI number coming out here in a little bit. CPI number yesterday was a shock to most people, uh, well at least, I don't know, we, we sort of had that early, uh, early heads up from Russell that the people he talked to said it was going to be a bad number, and it was. Dan, were you shocked, or were you were you one of the people that got the the memo early? <laughs> I think I got the memo early, uh, just sort of following following uh, you know the fixed income person following the uh, CPI is really important. So we've been we've been kind of on top of that. Um, it is we do have to remember though that it is re, um, reporting historical numbers. So we did see a, a fair increase in the month of June, which made uh, the one year number uh, look even more. Um, you know, look even worse than than um, probably what we've already started seeing in July. And I, I think just in the first few weeks of July, we're seeing that come down a little bit. Um, gas prices, um, I think some food prices are leveling, leveling off. Not sure it's hit services yet, but there's there's been a, I think there's going to be a little bit of a different um, mindset at the end of July, you know, when the, the July numbers are... Um, Printed for CPI and PPI, I think we're going to see a little, a little more um, encouragement on the inflation front. I mean, that being said, I, I, I haven't really changed my mind in terms of the Fed. Uh, you know, should still raise rates seventy five, possibly a hundred, and you know, we don't think inflation is going to come down altogether. It's just going to probably level off, or, or at least give consumers a new price target to start getting comfortable with, if, if that's possible. I, uh, I feel pretty much the same way, Dan. It's a, uh, but I've been trying to explain it in a way different than the the mutts, the mutts on TV. They, they keep thinking that it's it's over and it's coming back the other way, and now the Fed should actually you know go the other way and this kind of stuff. It's, you know, I guess I'll I'll run this by you because I want to talk a little about all this Chinese debt plus the stuff we haven't talked right. in three weeks. We need to get some good good uh, stuff to buy. Uh, you look at it like a physics problem. I mean if the the acceleration, which is brought upon by the money supply bulge of the last two and a half years, has yeah. pretty much stopped. So the so you know you you've ran your car from zero to eighty, but now you're not accelerating anymore, but you're still going eighty. So right now, I think that's kind of where we are. Plus, you have the other little trick bag: the the government being as useless as they are when it comes to numbers. They they hold on to the numbers so bad that your CPI is really probably a seven to eight month. Leading indica- uh, behind the times indicator. Well, yes. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, I absolutely agree on on all that. It's, so, we'll be, um, but last month when they say one point four percent, you can listen to all these bozos all you want. The fact is, the inflation is one point four times twelve. It's it's not right. it's not last right. year. It's not you know it's, right. it's so I mean even if you want to be nice, and you took the last three months and multiplied it by four, you're at about fourteen, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's double digits. There's no question. I mean, that's the um, 
and, and yeah, we are in the midst of it. I, I'm saying that I think the, the glimmer of hope is 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 going to be see what we to be what we you know what we're starting to see at least on the on the um, oil side with with prices consistently coming down. There's always that point that you get to where um, the business owner is passing along costs or the, the developer is passing along costs to the home buyer. And it's always going to be a point where where the consumer is going to say enough is enough, and they're either going to pull out a buying that home, or in the case of uh, a cost that that um, they might be able to find an alternative cost elsewhere, and that's sort of basic economics. And I think we're already in that that uh, we're already there in terms of how far um, the consumer is going to allow prices to go before they demand destruction becomes even greater, and and before they just find substitute. Um, products or services, so there's, there, there will be a point where that where that happens. Um, the fact that that gas prices have come down this quickly, oil prices have come down this quickly. At least here, they're already reflected at the pumps. We're seeing gas uh, below four dollars a gallon for the first time in in, in a few months. So it's a uh, you know it, I think it gives the consumer a little bit of confidence, even though it may not you know the consumer may just be looking at that number and they should be looking at the whole picture. But I, abs- I absolutely agree with you. There's, there's going to be a you're going to have to get used to sort of the new prices here, um, and then just make decisions on whether you're going to continue to buy as a consumer or invest as an investor, which I think is equally as important. Well, Dan, you have a when um, we know that you know obviously we both want people to use us as their money manager or both of us because we have people yes, that, we have people that do use both of us for uh, for fixed income or for maybe some protected stuff that I do. Uh, but you know, without making it a, a shameless plug, the, I mean, the fact is, every time somebody spends twenty bucks more at the gas station or any other place, it's twenty bucks you and I don't get. You know, what I mean, right? <laughs> it, it, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely. But but I will, what I will say as a plug for both of us is that this this environment is really where we thrive, and, yeah. and it's really holding on to gains and really preserving capital that's important because it is not a. a you know, if you lose ten percent, you've got to make back eleven or twelve to get where you were. It, so this is a really important time to um, preserve capital. It's also a time where we're coming into higher rates, which is really where our, my style shines. Um, so we're we're seeing more and more opportunities in short term, higher yielding investments that will certainly greatly outperform what you're getting um, by holding cash or being in CDs or. Even in, in a you know a somewhat conservative equity um, portfolio, so we're we're coming into our our uh, where our investment style is going to be very much in favor. Dan, what do you do uh, helping me out, counsel- counselor, for a little bit um, for for what's going on with the world right now? It's I mean it's real easy to promote um, what you do to people because you've been able to find some decent places and and the, all the people who got in with you even a year or two ago. Before the rates started to go up, never got hurt. I mean, they they made something, and now they're they're looking for round two because you kept everybody nice and short. In my in my area, this is talking to clients. This is like the it's almost like the worst nightmare because somebody will come in and say, and I'll just tell you the situations. You know what I'm talking about. You know what do you? Somebody comes in and says, well, I got a whole bunch of like Netflix or Nvidia or something like that, and, uh, and they know that I do a protective stuff. They give you the well. I don't need to. I don't really need to protect Nvidia at one hundred and fifty, do I? It was three something. And I, my my first thought is, well, I mean, it would have been better had you had you found me when it was three hundred. But 
I don't know that I can give somebody the all clear at 150. I don't know if the thing's not going to be 100 in six months. I mean, who's to say that these prices, they listen to these people on TV all day long, this is the bottom, can't go any lower. I mean, I, I, it's the hardest thing in the world to, to, to counsel somebody on their stock that went from 100 to 75 is to, well, I can't say any risk here. No, no, I can't believe it's trading 75. No way it can go any lower. Well, yeah, it can, but nobody wants yeah, it's, it's the hardest. It's the hardest thing. And the, to, thing, and the thing is, we've been there before, so we know it can go lower and, and we have to have a you have to have a story or a catalyst for it going higher, not a, not a catalyst for that specific company, but for the for the industry and the market. And I know that some names that I've heard some people asking me for tips or t- really giving me their their tips when it comes to EVs and even Rivian, which I know we've spoken about in the yeah. past. And I, you know, it's down, so this is a great time to come in. Is what some guy a mechanic actually said to me the other day, and I says, you know, I believe theoretically, I believe in what he's saying in terms of the industry, and it, and that's where it's going, but. I mean, the, the price of the, you know, they're still having raw materials, issues with raw materials. They're still having issues with the high costs that are prohibiting people from buying. In general, if people can hold off their purchases, they're going to continue to drive whatever they're driving at this point. And bigger picture, which is what we can't forget, is that the market can go down as a whole and everything can drop. I mean, and it's just some things will drop less and you'll, you know, or you can find some names like we do that may actually hold up really well and be up a little bit during this environment um but in terms of looking at the market it can continue to drop and it's it's um you know it's still possible an increase in a hundred basis point increase in um the fed funds rate at the end of this month is not going to be good for technology stocks no and i don't care what way you put it and how undervalued they are um, and then, depending on where we were, where we are later in the summer, if we start being, you know, if we start looking at things like this again, there could be a further, you know, a further decline. So, I would not be recommending, you know, anything that ha- involves high risk. I'd be protecting my my positions right now. Well, Dan, I don't. I one thing, I, I, it gets way, way too much. Me and other people talk about the, the Fed, which they should be, in my view, <laughs> the Milton Friedman world. My view, the Fed should be like an umpire. You never even know he was there. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And, and, and these guys have not been that way since 1968. If you, if you look at every one of these Fed moves, they're going to expand the economy, they're going to contract the economy. You put a six-month, and there's a little sloppiness in this, if I had the ability to put about a six- to eight-month stock lag every time they made one of these moves, they, you could predict exactly what these guys are doing, where the market's going. Now, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's... The, I mean, right now we have another sign of, of anticipated slower growth is that we have an inversion in the yield curve, which means the two-year uh, Treasury bond is trading 25 basis points higher, a quarter of a percentage point higher than the 10-year yield. And historically, we're, we're coming to a, you know, a, a pretty – it's been decades since we've seen this kind of inversion, and the inversion has always shown slow growth. We've also seen a wider spread on high yield bonds. We've talked about this in the past. This, the, the difference between the yield on the average high yield, no, the yield on, on a high yield bond and a treasury is now at 540 basis points or 5.4%, which is higher than the, than the long-term average. That spread has been widening. And when that spread widens, that means that there are concerns on the credit side. What I'm seeing is less liquidity already. I'm seeing the first signs of less liquidity. Not as many, you know, wider bid offer spreads, not as many, um, not as much in the way of inventory. Um, and that, those are 
signs, not early signs, but those are signs that we're expected to see slow down in credit going forward, slow down in the economy going forward, um, any continued inversion in the yield curve, which I'm, I expect we will see, will exaggerate that and will become more, more, um, I think more of a talking point going forward. So there's, uh, yeah, I mean, the Fed, you know, I agree, sh- should be more like an umpire or a ref, unless, unless like the, the people who are controlling, we shouldn't be sitting here waiting. And that's why we do find investments that perform well, regardless of interest rate environments, regardless of the economic environment. They're hard to find, but, but that's, that's our job. And that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's what we do. Well, you know, the 10 years, it's kind of surprising to me. And I'll ask a question. I, Back when when I started, the bonds were, uh, well, the, the the bond got to like twelve and a half percent, the thirty year bond, because it was an eight and a half percent, eight and a half percent bond, and I think yeah, it traded yeah. sixty eight or something. So that that puts it at about twelve something. But your short term rates were fifteen, fifteen and a half, sixteen. So you had, yes. but as you went out in the long term, people would say, well, somewhere along the line here. We're we're going to fix this, or we're going to go under. What are the other? We're going to fix this, and these are going to come down. We're not going to be having sixteen percent interest rates eight years from now, which was true. I mean, they came down, but now I, you look at these ten years, and this this inversion to me is kind of weird, Dan, because I think enough people have only been in the investment business since two thousand seven, two thousand eight. They think a two and a half, three percent ten year is normal. <laughs> and they think that return to normal is return to two and a half, three. Well, you and I might say, well, what would you say a normal ten years? I'd say like five and a half. It's closer to, I think it is closer to five, yeah. yeah. Uh, between five and six, exactly. Yeah, That's, I, yeah historically. So, I mean, if I think everything is going to be f- fixed in the next ten years, I'm thinking that thing should be trading four and a half, five. I, this whole, I mean, right now the the, the, the facts are, just the facts, man, uh, ma'am, Jack Webb, uh, is the, the money supply ballooned? They pumped the market from wrestle before COVID, say three twenty or something on the S and P to four seventy five. That's not sorry. That's not you being a genius and picking the right stock. The Fed did that, and now they've they've absolutely even though they're they're slow on the interest rate raises because they've got the population just looking at that and that money supply. They've actually slammed the brakes on the money supply the last two or three months, and it's like damn near flat. Man, which is I'm stunned at how. And how quickly they've flattened that out. Yes. So right now, now my question to you is, are they just going to flatten it out and let this big bulge work its way through the CPI and PPI and, and just flatten out sort of on its own, and all of a sudden we're stuck with stuck with these higher prices? Because if they just leave it flat, I mean, we're really not going to go down very much. I mean, a little bit maybe. Would you do that, or would you say, no, we got to actually lower it and go back to some of the old prices that's fraught with almost as much peril as putting it in the first place. I mean, but I don't see how you, I don't see how a, a person making the median income of, of whatever they call it is now, say 40000 median income can't be half the price of a pickup truck. Right. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know how you. Half the price, yeah. Well, I'm absolutely. asking you, how do you, how do you half fix the, this? Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. And I've always looked at the home price versus income as well, yeah. you know, being. Being twenty eight percent, I think, is what the what the, the number is. Um, you know, when you when you're purchasing a home, your income should you know you should have um, your total income should be as a percentage of the of uh, the value of the home has continued to drop. You know, from from say my parents' generation down our generation to the children's generation, 
it's much tougher for them, you know, in terms of their income versus the price of homes. And I think that's always been a good um, proxy for how, you know, how inflation and wages are out of whack. Um, how do you fix it? I think that they, you know, I don't know if it's too late. Uh, I think in, to a certain degree it is too late. I think there should have been more done sooner. And I do agree with you that there should, you know, the goal should be to get inflation in line with, with rates so that there's a, um, you know, that, that should be a goal. I don't really, I think that's half of their goal. I don't think that's their full goal. So, uh, go, going forward, the, the thing that people need to realize is when we see a 10 year yield, uh, the yield on the 10 year treasury or longer treasuries decline, that's happening for a couple of reasons. That's happening because we have foreign investors still. And this might be a good segue to talking about the Chinese. But the yeah. Chinese are still buying um, U.S. Treasuries. The Japanese are buying U.S. Treasuries. Europeans are buying U.S. Treasuries. It's still considered the safe haven. U.S. investors have been moving, who have been moving out of stocks are buying Treasuries, and they're buying them for two reasons. One is the flight to safety, and the other is just what you alluded to, Tom, that, that this is, the, you know, a time where we're, you know, Wow, three percent on a on a ten year, that's pretty attractive. That's you know, rather than thinking of interest rate risks, um, that interest rate risk that'll occur if that rate goes from three to four to five to six. Um, so <clears throat> so I think that you know it's important to understand where the demand is coming and we have a really strong dollar right now which is just continuing to be supported by uh, foreign investment. I'm looking uh, at the dollar the last few days, Dan. I'm watching the dollar, and it's, it's it's driving the entire markets. It's driving gold all over the place. It's driving yes. stocks. Hey, what, um, what? Let's talk just a little bit because it's. I want to. I don't know if you've been listening to the last couple of weeks. We've had this uh, this theme that our uh, professor Hal has injected about how 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 much you can screw up the uh, the economy in terms of the one percenters versus the rest if you allow people to borrow over a long period of time at a negative interest rate. And all it just drives the asset prices because you and I can't borrow a negative interest rate. But some people have been able to now for like a decade and how much, that's why they can pay five billion for a football team or something like that where right. you and I can't even, let, let's maybe kick that around next week. But let me explain to me this. Why, why, why don't this Chinese have a, a central bank that will, that will essentially bail out a regional bank? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're putting, and you hit on the money, that the problem with the Chinese has been on the regional banks. Or as you think of the U.S., we're not, we don't have as many problems on the regional bank side. I mean, there are, there are exceptions to that rule, and there, we have had that problem in the past, but our banking system is so much more advanced. Remember, China has been the laggard. I mean, when it comes to looking at debt, China has followed behind Europe, who has followed behind us. So we've really been the, you know, the, the for, in the forefront of looking at things from a debt point of view, what's happened in China is that there's been a lack of confidence in their ability to repay their debt. So we don't necessarily have that here. I mean, default rates have been low for a long time, so we're not in that environment at all here. But it, So you have to kind of put your head in where their environment is, and it's quite different. They're also, they do also do not have a bankruptcy system as we, that's advanced like it is here in the U.S. And by the way, the European system is not on par with our bankruptcy system as well. What that does is it tells investors to be cautious when there's any type of concern. And they've lost full confidence or, you know, they're losing more and more confidence in the banking system. What's led this 
is the real estate segment. That's where they have defaulted on the most debt. Um, the the Evergrande um, issue with the default net debt and and no repayment and no reliance on or 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 any type of indentures that are going to protect um, the investors. So that's kind of a downward spiral, if you will, um, on the debt side. That's a very negative if you're looking at um, from an investment point of view. You're not going to attract people, and certainly U.S. investors, including myself, who've been invested in high yield for over three decades, do not see investing in China as a good option besides the fact that their own country doesn't have um, confidence in their system. Besides that fact, I don't have confidence in getting the information I need to make those decisions. When you're getting into real estate and other credit, you know, investing in corporate debt, it's a new market. Um, you, they, they really are are not, um, it's not as well established as our market. You don't have the safety nets that we have in our market. You don't have the language. Um, and they also don't communicate it. So, I don't have, um, I don't see their banking system uh, improving anytime soon until they start catching on more to what the West, you know, like the Western system, what we've done, and that's just going to take time. But Dan, I, I to would, make this, I mean, they've, when I say this, they've come a, a long way, and they, they're not at all shy about because we've had people here from China with people that are affiliated with us learning all about the agricultural system and crop insurance and the lock system and the, all kinds of stuff we have here and then how uh, you know all the people can buy crop insurance how they buy you know there's a, you, can, you can trade puts and calls on your corn options I mean on your you can buy puts on your corn if you want you know that type of thing uh, or you can buy pits on the future not on your corn but the uh, I don't it seems pretty darn simple to me I mean for instance in, in this country and I'll be brief here try to be if, if all of a sudden you know Dan's parents live in some town in Iowa and everybody's a farmer. Every year, people are going to borrow money to put their crop in, right? So the so the bank is going to be probably pretty much stretched. The, the local banks, because everybody's borrowing at the same time, and that, that's because everybody's in the same business, right? So, but then there's also people who have deposits in there. But all of a sudden, if something happens, if a hailstorm hits that county, and and people need some of those deposits, which the bank doesn't normally have to give out at that time of the year, and all of a sudden they don't have it. That that's what the Federal Reserve does. I mean, they're, they're the banker of last resort. They're going to make sure that that bank can cover somebody coming in and saying, "I need five grand out of my yeah. checking account." Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what that's what a central bank does. Where people now, if the bank screws up and they actually go under, okay, well, what the bank does is merge them. What the Fed does is they'll merge them with another bank. They'll pick up part of uh, the loss, well, and then and then the, the new bank now has enough. Where somebody comes in and wants their deposit, they can give them their deposit. I mean, I mean this is really pretty simple. I mean, when it's hard to work out. I mean, the execution's hard, but the actual thought process of it is everybody's got different times of the year where you get where people either depositors or, or, or borrowers, correct? And and yes. and, uh, and what the central bank does is yoke all those areas of the country together and, and handle those individual problems as they come up. How is it? I mean, it's not like the Chinese government hasn't been here for ten years. I mean. That's the first thing you and I would have done. That, that's what we do as a central bank. Right. You know, I mean, the thought of having people running up there trying to get their their, their savings—you're not giving it to them. That, that's like the 1930s. I mean, right. I mean, we we can read the book. We don't have to. I mean, if you can't do that, you're useless as a central bank. 
I mean, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like agree. number one. Absolutely. You know, it's like being a doctor that doesn't know how to put a stitch in a cut. You know, I mean, it's like, okay. He's, you know, but, I mean, how do, how, how do they let that happen and the rest of the people maintain any sort of confidence? They're going to say it could happen here. It could. You know, we're talking about... I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about other parts of China. Here and, and um, making investments and then, and then, uh, and then U.S. investors, inve- you know, investing in, in those investments. Um, a little different, I think, if we're closer to the... Um, to to the property, if you will, use the word property to cover everything. Then it's a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit easier to understand. Um, I, I'm I was thinking more in terms of investments overseas and and um, you know other like say property or real estate that that China has around the world that they're trying to um, sell as investments or try to provide that. But their banking system does not have the same. Um, structure the same um, fallout that uh, the Fed, the Fed, the FDIC with the local banks. It's it's not structured like that, and it makes investing in their banking system very difficult for outside investors. Um, you know, it, it's it's really to me it's a hands off altogether. When I look at um, Chinese debt now, if it was debt that you know would they own something here in the United States, then that might be a different story as long as they're adhering to our. Um, all of our, you know, our particular regulations. Their regulations, in some ways, are stricter, but that makes it harder to invest as well. So it's a, ca- it's, it's kind of a catch twenty two. I, I, there could be problems with their banking system as time goes on. So, uh, not could be. I think there will be, and I think there will be if we continue to see higher rates here and more inflation and. Um, Dan, you got any couple of good ones? Uh, we we haven't. Uh, yeah, I mean, one that came up um, this week. Um, t- if you're looking for, you know, we, we were talking before about how little you're getting on a CD right now. I mean, what's really what's really interesting is interactive uh, brokers who we use um, pays one point one percent now on idle cash. They'll be paying more, I'm sure, by the beginning of August uh, after this next Fed meeting. So they're 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 a little ahead of the game. Uh, actually, a lot ahead of the game compared to a lot of banks. I mean, CDs are only paying around that much, or, yeah. or a little more for a one-year CD. So we um, <clears throat> looked at um, P, uh, PG&E, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. It's ticker symbol PCG. Um, but we're looking at bonds that mature in eleven months. Three and a quarter is the coupon rate. Uh, they're trading at a discount. Uh, maturity of June fifteenth, twenty three, and we're getting between four and a half and five percent on these triple B rated investment grade rated bonds. So this is a company that's solid. It's going to be around for eleven months. Uh, no default there on the on the horizon, um, and to be getting four and a half to five percent on paper or bonds that are less than one year in maturity is a hell of a lot better than you're going to get in in CDs or your money market rates or um, you know, pretty much any other investment that has that short-term maturity and that high, higher quality. So there's a, there's an example of, of a way to sort of go up the, the quality curve, the credit, uh, go up in credit and still get a decent yield. And I think we're going to see more of those opportunities as rates continue to go higher. Then we got a dash, but let's, uh, we haven't, I haven't had you for two weeks and there's, we, we could spend two hours uh, easily for me. Let's make up for it next week, buddy. Take care of yourself. Absolutely. SP Futures down 48. Coming back. Hey, that's a, that's a rally. SP Futures down 81. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. We also got the PPI numbers of 0.4% versus 05 we We'll check those out during the break.
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, we're back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howley, Mr. Man Webber on the board. I, I misspoke before the break of the first number that came across. Actually, the number was 1.1% in June versus 0.8 estimate, so that's hot, hotter than hot. We'll go through that in a second. SP Futures down 45, kind of unchanged on the number. NZF Futures 90, down 97. Dow Futures down 454. Over in Europe, we've got DAX down 171, 1.4%. Putsy down 75, 1.1%. GEC around down 82, 1.4%. So, Way worse than an hour ago over there. Asia hasn't changed because they're closed. Nikkei up 164.6%. Shanghai down 2, call that flat. Hang Seng down 46.2%. Uh, yesterday is a way of review. Dow is down 208. S&P down 17. NASDAQ down 17. Uh, bonds plus 5 basis points, 2.95. The Bund uh, positive five, by 5 basis points, 1.20. Japan uh, positive by 1.24. Oil, whack whack on the oil, on another dollar ninety eight, ninety four thirty two, so way down from the one twenty or whatever it got to. Rent down one eighty eight, ninety seven sixty nine, natural gas up fifteen cents, six eighty three. Our bob down another eight cents, three fourteen. So we should be getting under four dollar gas and we're not here in Chicago, that's for sure. Uh gold down twenty seven dollars, seventeen oh eight, uh silver down sixty nine cents, eighteen forty nine. Pretty soon don't, we're not gonna want your stinking gold, Lucy Lucy, copper down five cents. 326, and we've got, uh, 
Bitcoin up $92 to 19773 And what has become kind of a big number here is I'm looking at the uh, euro dollar, 1.0008. So hanging by a thread above a dollar, being parity with the dollar. I haven't seen that in like 20-some years. Betty, we got for us, Trevi Willis Sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have a couple of issues coming in from the south side on the Bishop Ford. Uh, first one is on the inbound side at 159th Street. There's a crash blocking the two right lanes with debris and uh, crews on the scene working to get that cleared up. But that's causing all kinds of stop-and-go traffic as the two right lanes are blocked. And then further inbound on the Bishop Ford. Uh, heading uh, into downtown, uh, there's a crash that's blocking, that's been moved to the right shoulder just before I-57, exit 63. Uh, so multiple crashes on the uh, I-94 inbound side, Bishop Ford, that are causing delays uh, coming in from the south side. No issues on the Ryan right now, I-57 looking okay. Traffic building heavily on the uh, Stevenson, and now we have a crash on I-55 northbound just before uh, Illinois 53 blocking the left lane. That's way out west uh, near uh, Bolingbrook and in that area. Uh, one other crash in the area, and that's on the Eisenhower inbound side at US-12. There's a crash on the exit ramp. Everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, lots of sunshine, mild uh, temperatures, low humidity, a beautiful mid-July day, a high of 75 in the city, warmer in the suburbs. Right now, it's crystal clear and 66 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, rain in the forecast and a hot and steamy high of 111 today. Right now, it is cloudy and 93. In sports, White Sox have won two in a row after uh, topping the Indians 2-1 to one last night. Or the Guardians, sorry. Uh, not the Indians anymore. Oops. The Cleveland Guardians, 2-1 uh, to one last night. Sox are now five games back of Minnesota. And that's where they head next for a big four-game set to close out the first half uh, before the All-Star break. So Sox can either really get buried here or make some noise uh, heading into the break uh, if they can uh, win that series up in the Twin Cities. Cubs have lost six in a row now. They were blown out by the Orioles last night at Wrigley, seven to one, and it was the Diamondbacks losing to the Giants, four to three. Chief. So if they trade Contreras, Hap, and Hendricks, are they going to be left the worst team ever in history of baseball? It's not going to be good. That's for sure. Um, wow. I really hope. Uh, I, by, by everything I've read, it, it looks like they're going to trade Contreras, which is ridiculous considering he's probably the best catcher in baseball right now, and I. I can't think of a harder position to fill where a guy, you know, is really good offensively and defensively, but whatever. Uh, I haven't read that they're going to trade Hap, and Hap's an all-star as well this year and really starting to come into his own as a switch hitter and outfielder, but it's possible. And, uh, I mean, what a joke for a major market team with some of the highest ticket prices in baseball to not even try to compete for multiple seasons in a row. And and gr- granted, they're getting a lot of good prospects back, and I think their farm system's really good, and they're going to be good again in a couple years. But, God, you, it's like you're going to need a catcher at some point. <laughs> Why not sign the good young one you have? I don't I don't get it. Well, I mean, uh, nobody – hey, John, how are you? I'm fine. How about you? All right. I mean, the, 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 the Chicago model, I've never – I never this Blackhawk thing. I mean, I was talking to some people last night that supposedly are more hockey than me, which is easy to do. I, I've never heard. I would have thought they traded their two youngest best guys for draft picks. I mean, it weren't, weren't, wasn't. I think it's a new new regime. Doesn't value those guys as the same as the old regime that drafted them. Well, I mean, DeBrinkett was an all star. He's small. 
I like to bring it. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. And and I like to Kirby Doc as well. That was a former, you know, top five pick or whatever he was. Well they wanna go they wanna go bigger, faster, stronger. That's that's the new style. But I don't see how uh Debrinkit isn't isn't a player and put two big guys on the line with him for God's sake. He's still nobody can nobody can catch the little dude. Yeah. Well Edmonton or whoever the hell they traded him to, they were sure happy to get him. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> crazy stuff. Jan, I don't know uh listening in on some stuff here, but this Producer price index. This has been brutal now for months because what they don't even, they never mention. I mean, the days they, they always want to. I don't know. Uh, you know, put put salve on this wound here. The final demand was one point one percent in June, seasonally adjusted. Oh, it's seasonally adjusted. The, the this uh, this followed advances of one point nine percent in May and point four percent in April on an unadjusted basis. Final demand prices moved up eleven point three percent for the twelve months ended in June. The largest increase since since March of this year, but get, but here's the problem that that I, I find you're, you're tr- what you're trying to do with the producer price price index is trying to figure out how much of it is going to spill into the CPI in the next month or two. Okay, so to do that, you have to read the next paragraph. In June, three fourths of the advance in the index for final demand was due to a two point four percent rise in prices. Two point four. This is like three or four months in a row. That the the price is paid for for goods is up over two percent. That that is not good. The index for final demand for services only increased point four percent. So so say for instance your your PTI securities or some law firm or some accounting firm your your final demand for for all the crap you buy in the business went up two point four percent and your rates went up point four percent. Yeah, you're not going to cover those expenses. Yeah, how's that going to work, Betty? <laughs> The math there doesn't look good for anybody who's any any kind of a regular business. I mean, it's like you know the the, the dentist was able to go up point four percent, but the the, the the stuff he uses to clean your teeth is up two point four. Well, that well, does it call into question, Tom, the fact that you you know maybe you 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 can't raise prices even when you can? Yeah, well. <laughs> like, well, I mean, if you're in the service industry, you're providing professional services or whatever. You can't just up your rates and expect people to follow along. And I wonder if this is you know, illustrating something that's it's kind of horrendous. Oh, that's, but it's uh, it, it, an absolute. If, if you take uh, you know, Russell, who God knows more than anybody about this stuff, I said to him, I just went and did a little research the other day on the, the CPI calculator. And from a point from January of 2000 to today, so 22 years is a long time since Y2K. Uh, the, the total price increase, according to the CPI, and Russell goes, "Well, it's got to be three times." And I go, "Well, you and I could probably do some, which I've done by the way, and some stuff. If we were to look at medical stuff, look at cars, look at uh, taxes, look at hospitalization, it's up about three times, right about where Russell." Because Russell's pretty much right on everything he says, uh, the the real number according to CPI is .73. So a dollar in, in two thousand is worth a dollar seventy three today, or the same same as today. Damn, that's not even close to reality. Not at all. I mean, you know, when when people put out, whenever you do something where you screw something up on purpose or just by whatever, somebody somewhere that you least that you least expect is getting screwed by you. I mean, I, I give the example the other day, but I'll be real brief. When I was at Pullman, we signed a labor, uh, a car contract for, for commuter cars, Boston, and there was an escalation clause in there, and they used the CPI. Now, if, John, if you and I were going to do it, and Maddie, we would say, wait a minute, 
we'd have some of the iron and steel in that. We'd, we'd do something better than the CPI, okay, because, but guess what? We're dealing with an authority, you know, and, and the governor of Massachusetts says, let's use the CPI, use the CPI. But, but it was a pretty fair number in those days. I mean, if, if it, if it said to me that the, that the inflation was 2% that quarter, I never said, hey, this is, this is bull. <laughs> it's really like 8%. I mean, it might have been 1.9 or 2 point, but it, it was, it was close enough, right? You know, for the unions, the unions bought it, the vendors bought it. If, if you, if you and I and Maddie, if, we, if we'd have put a contract together 10 years ago to deliver 10 new homes for somebody a year in a subdivision and had an escalation clause and the CPI in it, would we be even in business? Not at all. Not at all. If we were to say we're going to deliver these houses at, at 300 a pop, and oh, by the way, we'll do a CPI, in, in 10 years, it's by, by the last 10 years, it's like 0.3%. So we'd be getting, instead of $300,000 a house, we'd be getting, what, 390 No way on earth is are, are the cost of that house not way more than $90,000 more than they were 10, 12 years ago. Not even close. I mean, so you, I mean, if you had that as your index, you're screwed, <laughs> Right. Well, I'm just saying I mean, because it's used for a lot of different reasons, and whenever you 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 basically screw with it, you're screwing somebody, right? That's the way it goes. Yeah. So we kind of opened up the the thing with uh, Lua, Ted. Um, we're starting to see these buildings in downtown Chicago go from very good businesses. What did uh, Paul Heyman sent the thing in yesterday about how the uh, uh, the one over here in, in Adams in uh, LaSalle, uh, J. J.W. Marriott. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just it just they made they were making like twenty two million dollars a year over there on a building that was worth you know two seventy five. So they're making eight nine ten percent return, which is fair, right? That's what you know. And all of a sudden, between the COVID and between the lockdowns and, and the violence downtown and the city's inability to deal with any of this crap, the thing is is useless. Now it goes on for for mortgage, and somebody buys it for you know two thirty or something. That's after you know expenses of lawyers and everything else. So somebody's place that was probably worth three hundred is now going to somebody else at two something. And now you you sent the thing about the Palmer House, and we're talking about one seventy five West Jackson. Is it, the older I get, John, I'm not convinced that these massive changes of. Uh, of wealth in one generation to the next, like the Resolution Trust, like 2007, somehow or another, somebody isn't behind the scenes saying, "I'd really like that building for a lot less than that guy's black guy paid for it." I, it's 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 too much money, Jan, for it to just be, or maybe I just I'm pissed because only a few guys seem to get to to bid at it or something, and it's always the same people or something. I, something's got me pissed. I don't know what. Tell me what's got me pissed. Well, I, you know the the thing about the Palmer House, for example, I, there was one bid. You know, Wells Fargo came in with a bid for $251 million at the foreclosure sale. They were the only bidder, which is usually how it goes in foreclosure sales, unless you've got some property that is just itching for investment. Um, but I don't think a, a, a flagship hotel is one of those properties anymore. Um, when the loan was, was given to the Palmer House, with their equities who owned the Palmer House, uh, the, the loan was just over $200 million. So that shows how the, the, the indebtedness has crept up through the various, you know, fees, interest, unpaid interest, and so on since the thing went into default. So there's another $50 million there in debt that, you know, 
Wells Fargo would come up with. They can bid in whatever the actual indebtedness was so they can carve out how much of it is fees and taxes and whatever. Um, but they already have, a, you know, own a chunk of the property through their equity, through, through their original loan. Um, but the, the building is worth, you know, now its appraised value is like a third of what it was four years ago. So, I, you know, maybe they think they can make money on a sale, but who is going to buy that property and what, what plans will they have for it? There's, there's all these things being floated now with, you know, co-living arrangements, and I guess it's, it's workable in some cities like New York with this premium on affordable living space, which is like living in a, a cluster of dorm rooms or in a fraternity. So you have a shared kitchen, your, your furniture may be provided, your utilities are covered in your rent payment, and you have kind of, you know, communal space. That, that works if you're a young, you know, person right out of college with a job where you can sustain yourself. I don't think it works for families. Um, it's kind of like a one step from SRO living. So I, I just I don't I don't see that as a, a huge growth industry in a city like Chicago, where the pressure isn't the same as it is in New York. Then you have the JW Marriott property you just mentioned at, at 151 West Adams, um, which is you know that's a, you know, a, a style itself as a boutique hotel. They have you know, very nice amenities and you know good location close to the train station, everything, but um, that I just don't see that maintainable as a as a hotel anymore. What well, they were making, the kind of according to uh, Paul, who sends us a lot of this stuff, according to him, the Marriott was ma- made $22 million in 2019. When things were, quote, normal. Oh, that's, that's a long time ago now. Well, I, I, I get that, but I mean, it's not like it's, well, let's put it this way. If everything anything ever goes back to normal in Chicago, that which I seriously doubt, what are hotel rooms going to be? Double what they were in 2019. I mean, what, when what would be the cost of of rebuilding the Palmer House? A billion and a half, and you're getting it for two fifty. That's not a bad do. You know, I just that that works on paper maybe, but yeah. What what do you think the possibilities are that the, the Palmer House or any hotel in downtown Chicago? Is going to look, feel, perform the way it did in the 1950s and 60s. I just don't. I don't see that happening. Well, you need. You need. I don't think they can attract enough people on a regular basis. Uh, there won't be. The, I don't think there's going to be as much convention business as we've seen. Well, now you're talking about to the mid- Midwest. I don't think it's going to be coming to, to areas close to downtown Chicago. Well, now you've. you've but now you've added a serious wrinkle that all of us have been debating now for how long? You and I, for sure. What, this is not what's happened to Chicago and the COVID and the, and the lack of any sort of leadership here. Uh, what's happened here is not a normal business cycle, right? Oh no, and it's, no, it's been intensely manipulated. Yeah, you know from from the get go. But I, I think the manipulations have been so severe and, and the effects so long lasting that this isn't just I, I part of a cycle that will go okay, away. Okay, but there's still. You, but you're 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 questioning the. Two hundred fifty million in an area of incredible inflation. So, if things come back to normal two years from now, what's a hotel room going to be? Eight hundred. I mean, then the two fifty would, would be will be like a, a pimple on the ass of an elephant if we ever did go back. Yeah, I would assume the same appetite. Right, I understand. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying it is. there's another hotel too, Tom. You know, the Club Quarters at yeah. one hundred five West 
Adams Street, which is east of the Marriott on the same side of Adams Street. Uh, it's that old banker's building, which is, yep. I think it's the tallest brick-clad building in the city. So how'd you like to have the tuck-pointing contract for a 41-story building? Did you ever stay in a club the quarters? maintenance costs on that. But the, the club quarters hotel, which is also, you know, it was a small, boutique kind of hotel, that, that ho- hotel there it was cross-collateralized with three other club quarters hotels in Boston, San Francisco, and Philadelphia with a $274 million mortgage. The mortgage is in default. All these hotels are are going to be you know, teetering on you know, turning into somebody else's hotel or some other kind of space. And th- th- I just see this, this cascading effect with what, what seemed to be a way of salvaging older buildings by, by converting them to residential or short-term residential, hotel space, whatever. I think that solution has has kind of run its course. Well, and, Janet, but I mean, it's the chicken or the egg. By the way, did you ever stay in one of those places? Not in Chicago, no. I stayed in one in New York. They're, they're, Maddie, the room is uh, it's maybe the size of where I am, the room I'm in right now. It's uh, It literally is a bathroom that comes almost to the edge of the bed. Not even a door in it, I don't think. It's a nice bed. It's like a queen-size bed. And a dresser with a TV... And you couldn't have done it before they had flat screen TVs. You had a big TV in there. But I mean, it literally is for somebody to go to New York, go to meetings all day long, have dinner, pile in there at 10 o'clock, hop into bed, shower up and leave. And, 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 and it's, and it's fine for that. I mean, but in no way would you and Jill ever have that room. <laughs> she'd like, family. Yeah, she'd like, what, what are you, what are you doing with this thing? <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be better off in a, in a tent on the street. But, but I mean, it's very it's nice. It's very clean. <laughs> it's very nice. But you know, here's, Here's what here all, all this stuff matches together, John. I mean, you know this. When when we back when people really wanted to learn a lot about options, there was a group that did all these seminars, and because of us, we were never part of them. We never were part of their advertising or anything like that. Because of us, they they did probably two or three a month in Chicago. Now, when you say what did we do? Well, my brother Dan and I would give a lecture. It had nothing to do with. You know, you're making a million dollars here and there. None of, that, none of that kind of crap. But basically, Dan would talk about what brokers should do for you, how orders are executed, the different types of orders, those kinds of things. And people from the CBOE would come and be a guest lecturer, that kind of thing. But we also did a mock trading on the trading floor. When there was a trading floor, and the people loved that. So I'm going to say we had 50 to we they had 50 to 60 people, I'll say two times a month. And the classroom was over in 4, 440, which used to be 440, now it's 425. And you'd go to the exchange tour on the floor, and then you'd do mock trading in the OEX pit. And it was really, really a nice week for these people. You learned a boatload. I'm going to say out of the out of the 60 that would come one week, 50 of them would stay at the club quarters. So it's two blocks away. I mean, it's all, I mean, literally, they were they were the thing started at like seven. And, and after after it was done, everybody would go to dinner every night. We paid for one of the nights. And uh, they would go to the series or somewhere. And literally, you're staggering back in at 1030. It was perfect for everybody. Now, you, you, you rip away. So I'm saying, in those days, this group, which we were loosely affiliated with, uh, we were worth, you know, what's 120 people a month? We were worth, you know, we were worth 1,000 people a year for four rooms. You know, that's 4,000 nights for that place. Well, the CBOE doesn't do any of that anymore. We don't. I don't I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen an option seminar here in five years. I mean, when that stuff starts to leave the area, the people who want to see the Board of Trade, 
when all that stuff happens, and, and, and all your and now these the one there's a reason in one seventy five West Jackson, which is the big one of the biggest building in the city, being thirty percent people that are occupied. Maybe that's a rich. That that impacts both of these hotels we're talking about. They're a block away. Of course, of course. And you know there may, there may be a, a shift in some other direction that, that we haven't seen happen before, where for so long it's been you know building these real estate development companies that are diversified always sold as you know a positive where they own shopping centers they own hotels they own office towers whatever um but when any of these things tank as you have with some of these hotels where they're owned by developers that are also in shopping centers that are now less than half of what they were three or four years ago there's no way they can make a go of the hotel, even if the hotel were you're turning people away because they were so busy, because they've got problems trying to make ends meet at the other end of their, their portfolio. If you had a standalone company running hotel, uh, a hotel, and could you know market it and you know work like heck to make it a success, you could do it probably. And and but you you tie it to other businesses that are also threatened or undergoing huge changes, the likes of which we haven't seen in a while. None of these things stand on very firm ground. So well, I, I just I wonder if you know, you know what they're talking about now, Tom, turning LaSalle Street into a you know non-vehicular pedestrian. Route. Oh, they did try that with State Street. Have been years down ago. this route before? Well, let me ask you. We're talking. We, we've outlined. We have a few minutes left. We've outlined all the issues. In Chicago. It's not just business cycle. It's not just COVID. It's leadership. It's change in population. Nobody wants to be downtown because. The wrong people can get here by train too easily. That's why you want to be in a West Loop. Those people can't get there. I mean, you know, let's let's let's, you know, let's say the truth here. But now you're talking price. You're saying at 250 million, Jan Flanning will be very reluctant to take care of the Palmer House because you're not sure about the convention business. You're not sure about this. By the way, I agree with you all the time. But I'm going to say this: if somebody gave it to you for nothing, you're taking it. And say I'll, I'll I'll roll with it and hope things come back. Oh sure, and yeah. you might have more than enough money left over to demolish it and put something else up, and you know you know build for the future. And who could care, maybe even call it the Palmer House reinventor just to keep the sentiment attached to the. But I'm saying, so yeah, if, if you've got enough money and you don't have to pay it out in acquisition costs, sure. I would, I would oh, yeah. make a bet as as negative as I am in Chicago right now. If we did a GoFundMe page through Stocks and Jacks, and I got that place for fifty million. I'd be ecstatic. And I bet we can make money at that number if the city ever came back. When I say come back, we're talking about, I've been to the Economic Club of Chicago dinners there and everything where, where regular executives would go to a dinner there at 5.30. They didn't mind staying downtown. They weren't afraid and would leave at 7.30. You'd leave a, I went to a, an APEC thing there. If, if all, if, if people wanted to be, were comfortable downtown again and you could get that place for a hundred million bucks, good lord. You'd be fat and happy like there's no tomorrow, Jan. You can't replace but, it, you know, but what you're but saying... I don't think you'd be turning it into a, a hotel again, Tom, and maybe that's that isn't a bad thing. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just the way our, our life patterns are changing, where we don't need hotels. Where we do. we got Airbnbs. we got, you know, cheapo places. Yeah, but if you're going to do a... Kind of a long-term visit. If you're doing seminars... I don't seminars, know if the house too many people's yeah, boat anymore. Maddie, when was the last time you stayed at a... Matty, when was the last time you stayed at an Airbnb when you were traveling for business? You don't. You don't, uh, typically. I was also going to say that uh, Airbnbs and, and VRBOs and whatnot have gotten so expensive that it's almost uh, preferred to stay in a hotel again. <laughs> we really have come full, full circle. Yeah. There you go, Jen. Hey, Jen. Kind of like Ubers with cabs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With no, no price difference there anymore. 
Well, John, I may see you tonight. We might be able to debate this one-on-one tonight. Might see like you tonight, that, but yeah. SP Futures, we're down 50 again. Is where we've been right the same spot. SP Futures, 95. Again, PPI number was uh, 1.1 on the, on the upper end. It was supposed to be 0.8. So two days in a row of lousy numbers, and the market showing it. Back on tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.